Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome in episode 260 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. It was an entertaining game for the, between the Bruins and Penguins. They always seem to have those high-scoring games, Bridget and Scott. Um, but it's been a lot of hockey over the last week or so. Uh, let's jump into our opening shifts between the Penguins-Bruins and just the week prior. And looking forward. Yeah, I mean, I was telling Bridget in the press box as the Bruins were coming back and eventually tied it after being down 5-2. The last time the Bruins had a three-goal comeback and won was last last year in November in that crazy game in Pittsburgh. And it was the same thing. They were down 5-2 and ended up winning 6-5. Of course, this one they ended up losing 6-5. But uh, my, my opening shift is related to that game Thursday, and it's just a, the disappointment of the Bruins' defense falling apart after really seeming to have, to have turned a corner during the four-game winning streak. They had allowed just – seven goals total during that four game winning streak, which, you know, was a significant improvement over the way they were playing before Christmas break when they lost four in a row. Um, and then they give up four in the first period alone on Thursday, another one early in the second and they're down five, two. And they're just, they just, they're mistakes that the Bruins don't make when they're playing their best, but have cropped up a few times now. And it's, it's losing races and battles at the net front. Um, a couple of those goals were situations where Pittsburgh ended up with a, a two on one or a three on two down low and just had the Bruins outnumbered at their own net front. Um, you know, Montgomery talked about that after the game, a couple of careless turnovers that led, led to odd man rushes. 
you know, even as the, like even late in the game, it's, you know, they turn over and there's an odd man rush going the other way that leads to uh, a McAvoy hooking penalty that then sets up the Sidney Crosby power play goal for the winner. So really sloppy effort. Um, I think, you know, the Bruins sort of spun as a positive after saying like, Hey, at least, you know, we had the resiliency to, to fight back and we never gave up and that is encouraging, but um, what led to them being in that hole in the first place was just a disappointing uh, step back after, you know, a a much better stretch from them before that. Yeah. And, Charlie Coyle, though, actually, when I talked to Charlie, he wasn't giving them any excuses, but we can get into that after because um, my opening shift is not really about Thursday's game, but it's about what we might see Saturday and what's coming uh, down the pipeline with Patra back uh, Canada out of the World Juniors early and Patra back with the team. So he didn't play Thursday, even though he was in town. Uh, chances are he plays Saturday or at least um, gets his first game when they head out on their road trip, I'm hoping for Saturday and I'm my, you know, my main take is that we've gotten hints that he's going to come back and play wing instead of center. And I personally, when he left, thought it was a bad idea. I still, I've the entire time been maybe in the minority on this, um, that it wasn't the right move. And I felt like he was going to lose his spot. And if he goes to the wing, then he, you know, Morgan Geeky has done a great job. And, but you know what? They've also moved Zaka to the wing. It's, they, they've completely shuffled things around. And in the time that he was away, he may have lost the job that he wanted, which would have been playing center on the, the second or the third line. So um, I'm interested to see what happens Saturday. And I kind of, I don't know. I have, I have a bad feeling about what might come if he doesn't play well in the first two or three games back. Yeah. And everybody talks about his maturity as a player and we'll see, we'll see if that comes to fruition. I mean, I think there's a lot to be, um, there's a lot of people who are arguing whether or not world juniors was a good thing for Pacha or not. End of the day. Um, we don't really know until we see him come back. I mean, if he comes back and I don't think we'll ever know if he comes back and plays lights out, I don't think we can say for sure it's because he went to World Juniors and came back motivated. And if he comes back and plays uh, lethargic, I don't think we can necessarily say it's because he went to World Juniors. So it's kind of a silly conversation, I think, or, or debate. I think the only thing that matters is what you're saying, Bridget, which is you know how he how he does in general coming back and, and where that is. Um, so for me, I'm also going to kind of look big picture here. We're approaching the All-Star break, and the, the Bruins, as recent as like, I think maybe yesterday were uh, first in the NHL uh, with a loss. They've, they've slid down to fourth in the NHL. Um, the top five teams in the league are all within five, six teams are all within, you know, three points of each other. So it's going to be one of those types of leapfrogging things um, for a while here. So in the standings, they're great. Um, they're tied for fourth in the league and goals against as a team. They're tied for 12th in the league uh, goals for, um, Plus minus is probably some, they're probably somewhere in the top 10 as well. So the team is like, they're, they're, they are objectively a very good hockey team. There is no question about it. For me, watching this team so intimately and knowing just like how, where they can be vulnerable and where they need to improve going forward, I look at a few different areas. And I think the game against the Penguins kind of 
um, put a magnifying glass on a few of them. Number one, while they are fourth in the league, tied for fourth in goals against, um, I still think that their defense. Sorry, just I just muted myself. I think their defense needs to be. Uh, they need to be tougher to play against, certainly in front of the net. And I look at that that game against the Penguins, and not once but twice, Matt Grizzlick just gets, you know, out muscled or out positioned. However you want to, you know, phrase it, in front of the net leads to a goal. Scott mentioned uh, the defense against the Penguins, like Lindholm, just on that third Penguins goal, just like, what are you doing? Just mental. It's a combination of mental errors and and a lack of, I think, physicality. Um, and I think, and I think I look at Lindholm and I look at McAvoy and Grizzlick as players that like we expect like so much better, certainly from Lindholm and McAvoy. And they have to be not just the best defenseman for the Bruins, but top defensemen in the NHL if they want this team to go where they want to go. And I think they need to be better. Um, we all know the Bruins probably miss, a, they're missing a top six forward probably. Um, could that be Patra? Maybe. Um, but I also think there's an identity issue on the Bruins fourth line. I don't think this team can go anywhere when your fourth line literally is not producing any offense and is not a stalwart defensive unit and they're not creating chaos. Steen and Loco and Beecher or whomever is not really getting it done. And in recent games with Merkulov, like Montgomery's not even using his fourth line. So I see that as a problem long-term. You cannot go through two months of potential playoff hockey without a fourth line identity. Um, so I look at the fourth line. I look at the defense. It needs to be tougher and maybe a, you know, an additional forward. But as we finish the first half of the season, that's kind of where my mind is at with this team. I can't get by the fact that you just said stalwart. And I hate that word. That is a gross did word. I even, did I even say it right? Is it stall? Yeah, stalwart. I I didn't know that was a, a word Bridget hated. I'm gonna have to start <laughs> using it more. It has the word war in it. Come on, guys. It's not, <laughs> it's not a great word. I don't even know if I use it properly, but hey, that's oh, that's, you'll never catch me on the broadcast no, saying I, I, stalwart. I think it's really make it. If somebody says something, then maybe I'll I'll admit I don't know what I'm talking about, but mm. Anywho, yeah, so that's my opening shift. A little bit long-winded, but which which Bruins the most stalwart esque? I, would, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> d- defensively, maybe Brandon Carlo. Oh yeah, maybe Carlo. He's, yeah. he's a defensive stalwart. Oh yeah, god, be. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> should be, should be. But yeah, look, I, I um, I'm trying to be mindful with this opening shift. Like, I'm not. I, the reason I said what I said in the beginning, like I recognize where they are in the standings and and, and where they are you know, team metrics, like they are objectively a good team, but I, I just think that there are certain areas that they, they have to improve if they want to, you know, win a championship, right? That's, that's what their goal is. Yeah. Well, so I'll tie two of your, you guys' opening shifts together a little bit with, you know, Patra coming back. One thing that can do is lengthen the Bruins lineup. Um, you know, where exactly he slots in is one conversation how the pieces, how other pieces move around is another part of this. And part of that is that someone who has actually been producing some offense might drop down to that fourth line, whether that's Danton Heinen, who we saw slide down there recently um, when Georgie Merkulov first came up, or maybe even Trent Frederick, you know, especially if they want to keep Frederick at center. Like, I don't think Johnny Beach has done a bad job at all is, fourth line center, but could he bump over to the wing to make room for Frederick to, to center that line? Like it's an option. I, I think there's going to be 
that there's going to be a, a process of the Bruins working this out and probably trying a few different things, um, which could include Potter on the wing. But yeah, Brian, you're right. Like they do have to find a way to get some offense from the fourth line. It, it doesn't have to, you know, no one expects it to be a go-to offensive line every night, but it can't just be zeros night after night after night for like literally a month on end. When, when I wrote about, I wrote about the fourth line a little bit, I think right before Christmas. And at that point, Lauko, Beecher and Steen had combined for one point in the month of December in like over three weeks. Um, You know, Jake, like, I think when it was Lauko, Beecher, Steen, at least, you know, you could see an identity there of like speed for checking some physicality. And they weren't giving up a lot defensively. Like they were doing the job of not allowing much, but they, they just weren't producing anything offensively. Like Lauko has played 27 games this year, still has not scored a goal, three points. Oscar Steen has one point in 22 games. Um, Beecher. I didn't look up how long this has gone back, but I know he's had a, he has six points on the season, but a very quiet stretch recently. I mean, one point for him since November 30th. So, yeah, like, there's got to be something. You, like, you can't you can't have that. You can't have guys going a month without getting a single point. Yeah, and Lauka was scratched yesterday. I saw him up on the ninth floor. Um, and to, to go back to, like, kind of combining me and Brian's first shifts – if Potcher comes back and you slot him on the third line back at center, um, that would just that would bring you back to a line you saw before, which would be JVR, Potcher, Frederick, and that would bump Heinen back to the fourth line. I don't want to see, I don't want to see Frederick drop back to the fourth line. I know you're like the idea being like maybe you get scoring from every single line now at that point. Um, but I just feel like Frederick has done so much and he's somebody that we've seen do really well over the past few weeks. Um, Like it feels like a demotion for him to go down to the fourth line. Um, I know that in the past spreading out your talent, like back when Taylor Hall was on the team and they had him on the third line, like sometimes you move guys lower in the lineup than really they should be to try to spark the scoring and, you know, on all four lines. But Frederick has just been playing so well that I don't want to see him get pushed maybe to a line that, slows down his progress and slows down his production. Um, and I, I don't like the idea of putting Potter at wing. We didn't see him do that. And I, I don't know if you guys remember, this is a contradictory thing to what management had said before. So coming out of training camp, pe- people asked um, Bruins management, would he ever play wing? And they're like, we don't really want to play him there. He's a center. You know, we, we want to keep him there at his natural position. And then when he went to World Juniors, they said when he comes back, he still has his job and he doesn't have to worry about losing his job. And then he obviously still coming back to the Bruins, but he did kind of lose his job. And well, if he moves to the to, wing. To be fair, they said specifically he'll he's coming back to the team. They actually said he'll have to earn his spot. Like that is true. They did say that. But like, but then but then that means he lost it, like because he left. I there's I to me that there's just something that's contradictory about. Uh, the statements that have been said about him this year. And that makes me very weary that if he doesn't come back and have a good first week or, uh, or two, 
maybe he does go back to juniors. Maybe they send him. I, I, I don't like the idea at all. Um, I think he should have been in Boston this whole time. And I know he has to earn it. Everybody does, but I felt like he's maybe just not been told by management exactly the truth and what they're planning to do with him. Yeah. And just a, well, so I want to piggyback off that Bridget, but just to summarize some of the numbers that Scott was giving on the, on the fourth line. Um, uh, yeah. So, so Steen, Loco and Beecher combined 10 points in a combined 82 games played so far this year and a collective minus 13. Um, I know plus minus is kind of a subjective um, number based on how people think it's important or not, but um, you know, so when, when you, when you have 10 combined points in the 82 games, minus 13 collectively, and outside of a couple of loco fights, like there's not a whole lot doing right. Um, when they're out there. Um, yeah, it's a tough look. And obviously like Milan Lucic was somebody they wanted on that fourth line to provide that, that experience and leadership and, and physicality. And I think if he was, if it wasn't for his off ice issues, I think the fourth line might have a little bit something going, but he's not here and this is what the reality is. So they got to figure that out. You know, I, I don't see why, I don't know why like somebody like, maybe Mark McLaughlin, who we know isn't having a great year in Providence necessarily, um, or somebody like that in Providence. I don't know why Oscar Steen and, and, and is getting that, or like, I don't know. I just think there's a fourth line type players are more um, abundant in the AHL than say, say like a, a Georgie Merkulov, who's you're trying to pin to a, into a top six role one day. Like, I think you can find, you can try to give guys opportunity if, if these guys aren't, aren't, aren't doing a job, um, maybe find a way. And um, I know I just kind of opened up a different discussion and I want to jump back to Bridget's point. So I don't know if you had anything on that or else I'll just go. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd just say like Mark McLaughlin's going to start scoring in Providence before I think Boston gives him any look because if we're talking about like the fourth line not scoring, I haven't looked recently, but I know McLaughlin was at like five points in 30 games or something down there. So um, that wouldn't really... Uh, like sometimes maybe I hate to say this and, it, and it's not really fair because because what you're saying is absolutely true. But that may, maybe with certain players, like environment makes a difference for them. I don't know. All I know is that when he was in Boston for that short stint, he seemed to impress all of us on this podcast. Yeah, for sure. And, and he was he was close to making the team out of camp last year. Um, but I, I think there's still I think there's stuff he has to get right in Providence before he's mm. before he's ready to come back. Um I, I, I start with, with, and I guess to circle back to Bridges point, like, I don't think Potra's in danger of getting sent to juniors because I think they need him right now because they need to lengthen the lineup. Like I said, and that's going to mean dropping someone down to the fourth line. And we know, you know, earlier in the year when they were like pretty close, when they were at full strength or pretty close to it, it was Morgan geeky who got dropped down to the fourth line. I don't think that's happening now, but Sure, like start with Heinen and see if a Heinen, Beecher, and either Loco or Steen have those guys fight for playing time. Like, does that at least start to give you something offensively? Because Danton Heinen isn't lighting the world on fire, but he's been a fairly consistent five-on-five contributor. So can he bring that to that line and help kind of lift those guys up? Like, mm. I'll, I'll start there, and I, I know that that, you know, that gives that fourth line a different look, and it's suddenly it's not – you know, maybe as fast and physical as, as you might want, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to try something different. Like you, 
like you said, like if you're, if you want to find some offense, you, you know, you got to be able to change it up a little and Heinen's still a good defensive player. Um, tough turnover last night aside, but like, I think you can still trust him for those roles too. If that's how you want to continue to use your fourth line. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, and I, I certainly don't think Georgie Merkulov stole Patra's job um, yeah. in the eyes of anyone. So uh, it, it's unfortunate for Mer- Merkulov because we were thinking maybe he would get a little bit more ice time and we'd have more of a way to, to gauge his pro prospects. But there really wasn't a lot that we could go off of. He didn't get a, a lot of time and he didn't get put in situations where we could have seen him use his skill set very much so um kind of quiet i mean there was i mean there i swear i noticed him on the ice i know he was on there more but he wasn't noticeable like maybe notice him on the ice like twice yesterday um because yeah i mean he only played like six minutes yeah yeah what do you guys while we're here what do you guys because i see this a lot on on twitter especially but the idea that like they didn't they didn't give him a chance or you know, they should have played him higher in the lineup or put him with more skilled players. I, I have my own opinion of this, but I'm curious what, what you guys think. I don't think there was a spot for him higher in the lineup. That, that's I, what I think, yeah. I don't think that it would have made sense to – I mean, I understand, like, okay, if this was a team that wasn't going to make the playoffs, go for it. Uh, if this is a this was training camp, go for it. But it's not. Um, and – we obviously just kind of as fans and, and we, we have this curiosity about what he might be like. Um, so like just fans of hockey in general, we want to see, all right, we know he has this, this interesting creative skill set that we want to see at some point, but I just don't think that it was the, I mean, it was the right time to call him up, but it wasn't the right time to do anything drastic and move him higher in the lineup. And sometimes that's what happens to prospects. We saw, we saw this happen to like Jackson Nika a bunch of times where he comes in on the fourth line, barely plays. We know he's not really a, uh, like a, the character of a fourth line player. 
Um, so yeah, I guess probably you and I agree, Scott, that it just wasn't it just wasn't the right time to do that. Well, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, okay. So it's a, it's a there's a few different ways you can go about it. Like I I I understand why he wasn't put higher in the lineup. I understand why you know Montgomery felt the need to to shorten shorten the bench at times. I understand all that. Um, but for me, I still have this itch on my back that I haven't scratched with Merkulov. Like, I feel like we all want him to come to Boston to see what he could do in a certain situation to learn about him. And I feel after this stint with him, and I'm not just talking the Pittsburgh game, I'm talking, you know, the prior four or five, whatever it's been. Um, they're going to, what's going to happen is they're going to send, send him back down to Providence. And I'm going to be like, we didn't learn anything because you didn't give him, you didn't put him in a situation where he gave us a chance to, to learn about him. And it's, I feel like it was a missed opportunity just, just to learn about the players as, as an asset and, and where he could, what he could do. So like, could you, could you have found a period, a period, maybe a game to stick him with, um, you know, one of the top two lines for the whole game as the center, just to see what it looked like. And I just feel like he's going to go back down to Providence and everybody has this like sour taste in their mouth slash no taste in their mouth. Cause we just didn't really see anything. Cause they put him in a limited third line role and then shorten the bench in the third periods. And you kind of like, like the point of the call up was to see what he could do or gauge where he could be in the future. And we didn't get that. So in that sense, I kind of view it as a failure on the organization's part. Yeah. I think, I think the one thing they could have done more and, and I, and again, I guess we're talking like assuming he's getting sent back once they activate Patra. Bridget, Bridget is like, what the hell? Some, uh, what the hell? Some, some house of mirrors or something. Wait a minute, let me try to fix this, guys. Okay. Keep talking, keep talking. Let me just do... actually a twin. Oh, she's not. <laughs> All right. Uh, so on, on Mergulov, like the one thing I would have liked to have seen more is him centering the third line between Van Riemsdyk and Frederick, because I thought that looked pretty good when he started there and it, there was some potential. And then they, you know, it got into one of those situations where it was like, well, Montgomery wasn't using him in the third period because it's a close game. You didn't really trust him yet. And then he sort of just stuck with uh, that Van Riemsdyk, Frederick Heinen combo. And I would have liked to have seen a little more of that because I also think, that would have given you that also would have given you a longer look at Heine on the fourth line and what that does. So again, I think you're going to get that anyways now with Patra back, but that is one situation where like Merkulov seemed to be a bit of a fit um, and, you know, showed at least some potential helping that line create some chances. Uh, and, to, you know, the last like two, three games, especially just hasn't, been there he's been on the fourth line well like everybody was calling for it right the fan base was salivating for a chance to see him you guys wanted to see it i'll ask you i'll ask you guys like like how do you like do you feel like like you're satisfied and like did, did you not so much in his play but do you feel like you got en enough of an opportunity to see him and i think you just kind of answered a little bit scott but i don't like everybody everybody wanted it and it was kind of like a tease you know no i I, I don't feel like I. Sorry, Bridge. I jumped in because I didn't know if you were one hundred percent ready to I'm go. I'm back. Yeah. Let okay. me talk, okay? Um, <laughs> well, let, no. uh, let me just finish my point quick. Like, no, oh, I don't really feel like I saw enough of him. 
Um, but I, I didn't think this was going to be a long-term call-up anyways. You know, had he had like a great stretch here and forced their hand, that that would have been great. Um, I really think this call-up, as much as anything, was about rewarding Merkulov for the way he was playing in Providence. Even more so than like, let's see if he can play in our top six or even our top nine. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think it was more player management of like, Hey, this kid's earned it. Let's bring him up, give him a chance, come up with the bullet list of, you know, here's the things to work on when you go back down. So you're even, you're in an even better position next time. Um, So I, I feel like to, in that sense, you know, mission accomplished. Like you gave the kid a taste. Mm-hmm. You let him know, like, hey, we see what you're doing down there. Um, but yeah, sure. Like I, I would have liked to have seen, like I said, at least on that third line. I, I'm with Bridget. Like I don't think there was really an opening in the top six, and I'm fine with not trying to force one. But sure, there you could have given him more minutes somewhere. Yeah, you you could have definitely given him him more minutes, but um, we've noticed this is a huge difference from last year to this year, shortening the bench much more often. Um, anyway, uh, did you guys want to go into the Potra thing a little bit? Because uh, obviously it would have been this discussion about Merkulov would have been way more front of mind if Patra, you know, wasn't in the picture. Um, but now that he comes back, it affects Merkulov. Obviously we think he's going to be sent down here soon. Um, and, Potra come back into the lineup. Well, I will say, um, as somebody who was anti sending Potra to World Juniors, the one thing I can definitely say for sure, um, it benefited was Morgan Geeky kind of giving getting an opportunity to move up in the lineup and find his stride. And you know, he's he's become a consistent scorer for the Bruins. I would say in the last three weeks or so. Um, you know, I'd have to look at his – I think he has 17 points in the season. I'd, I'd have to double-check. But I feel like a lot of them have probably come in the last maybe 25 games, 30 games. Um, so that's a positive sign for the Bruins. Now, is that primarily because he's been with uh, Pasternak and Zaka? I would actually say a little bit, but not a ton. Like, I think he's kind of just been good all around. So um the question for him is like okay if you do send him down the lineup because you're stretching the lineup as scott said like does does can he continue to be that player for you um if he can then that's been a good development i I just feel like a little bit more space in the lineup has allowed geeky to to find his rhythm a little bit and i think that's a positive well and if you do decide to move him down the lineup then that means you're probably keeping him at center right you guys agree that they're probably keeping him at center if even if they move him off of that line or do you think they'll put him back to the wing. Cause then that's what affects Patra. Like if he moves back, if he keeps his center role, moves back to the third line center, um, you move Zaka back over um, from wing, then that pushes Patra to the wing. I, I think, I think Geeky's staying at center for now to me, the discussion around like whether he moves back to wing or moves down the lineup uh, almost has more to do with whether you, you keep Pavel Zaka on the wing or feel the need to move him back to center. And we were just talking about this a little bit off air. So I'll bring it on. Zaka has one point in his last seven games. And I don't necessarily think that he's been playing poorly. And that line has actually looked pretty good for the most part. 
we've talked about Geeky looking good there. Pasenak has eight points in the last four games. He's just been his usual dominant self. And, like, Zaka is playing a role in that. You know, he's part of that line's success. It's not – you don't have a line play well if one guy is completely invisible. But, you know, you also would like to see him putting up some points himself. So I I, I think they're going to roll with it as is for now. But I do wonder if something changes at some point where they decide, hey, maybe Zach is just not as involved as we'd like to see him be when he's on the wing. I think he's still trying to maybe figure that out. Um, so to me, Geeky stays there. Potra probably goes back to third line center. Um, I think you can slide Frederick back over to the wing on that line. Uh, but I guess if they did decide to keep Frederick at center, then then you explore the possibility of Potra playing wing. And one thing I meant to note earlier is Potra talked on Thursday to the media. Uh, he was back in the building on Thursday. Um, remains to be seen if he'll play Saturday. The Bruins are, are off Friday, so no practice to gauge line combos or anything. But uh, Potra actually said he had played wing in the past. He, you know, he didn't specify when, so like for all we know, that could be when he was nine years old. But um, it, it was because Bridget, you're right. Like in, during the preseason, pretty sure it was Sweeney who said like he hasn't played much center and. They tried him for a game there in like the rookie challenge out no, in, he hasn't played out much in wing. Buffalo. Sorry. <clears throat> he hasn't played much wing. Is that what you meant to say? Yeah. Did I say center? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's played a little bit of center, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, yeah. Sweeney said he like he hadn't played much wing. So Patra said he's at least played it a little bit. So I, I guess it's not a totally foreign concept. Um, you know, it, Emily Kaplan on the ESPN broadcast Thursday night kind of hinted at that, said, like, don't be surprised if they try Potra on the wing. And we know, you know, she is has great sources, like, within teams and talks to coaches and players uh, before any ESPN games. So I'm sure that was coming from uh, an, an educated point of view and was something she's heard and wasn't just guessing at. So it does seem like it's something that they, they might explore. And I just, I don't have any problem with exploring it. Like it's fine to try it and see how it looks. I have, but so what you first said before, like before your last point there was that you would keep that Zaka geeky Pasenak line together. And I would too. I, I think that it's kind of gone maybe under the radar that Geeky and Pasta have created a lot of chemistry over the past few games. Like that, that pass that pasta hit him on the back door. Like Geeky is going to the right places on the ice and Pasta sees the ice well, and he can make those kinds of passes. And um, it's led to both of their uh, points going up. And like we said, Pasta a lot of times he gets taken away from the shot, but he finds the pass and Geeky has been the beneficiary of a few of them. And, um, yeah, I just, I think that they've, they kind of know where each other is on the ice now and, and the chemistry formed pretty quickly. And I, I can't say that I, I want to see them get split up at this point. And that, and if that's the case, then you, I don't know why you wouldn't just move Frederick to wing and put Potra back at center. I, I feel like maybe we're splitting hairs at this point, but I just don't really see what, why you would need to keep Frederick at center. I know he, he, you know, he hasn't done a bad job, but 
you also, you know, you know, he's a good winger too. So I, I just feel like that's a safer bet. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, um, I, I, I see a perfect world where like you, you could have geeky with like Frederick and Van Riemsdyk and have a very heavy, like formidable third line that can, you know, wear teams down and possess the puck uh, and create offense. And then that opens up an opportunity for somebody in the top six and whether that's Patra or somebody external that comes in at the deadline to kind of, you know, play with, with, with Pashnak and Zaka, if those two are still together. But I also agree with what you, what you guys are saying right now. I, I, I wouldn't move geeky off that line right now. Um, first of all, I, I think, I think his, I think he's played really well. Um, and I think that his size has created space for, for Pashnak out there. Like, I think it's, you know, if Patra was with Zaka and Pashnak, that line gets a lot smaller. When Geeky's there, all of a sudden there's more, there's more, there's more puck protection, I think, with Geeky. Um, he's winning more one-on-one -on -one battles. So yeah, I, I see what you guys are seeing. I don't yeah, know. And, and Geeky's good net better. front. Like Geeky can be good net front, whereas Patra, you're not, he doesn't go to that area of the ice very often. He's a completely different style of center. Like even Zaka doesn't go to the net that often or and definitely not as well as geeky when he gets down there he's very effective standing you know side of the crease top of the crease taking away goalie's eyes rebounds you know like crashing the net he brings that element to that line which we've talked about before like who we could who could go with pasta that could kind of cause that havoc in front of the net that might help help relieve um yeah. some of the stresses on Pasternak so you have that in Geeky and he's and he's been a decent center as well like taking face-offs and um doing you know defensively as a center so I, I don't I it's not time to break them up in my opinion no but I do I do think Zach has to get going though yeah by the way completely random aside but Geeky tried that uh that the movie makes on zone entries where he just tries to lift the defense from the stick, like as he's closing closing in on him. Um, he's tried that a few times. Like I, I think we all noticed it because it led to a goal once. But I've noticed him do it a few more times since, and I, I just love that. Like I, I'm like I wish I had that when I was growing up because I did not have this skill to take guys one on one. So I should have just been, you know, flinging defender sticks all over the place but yeah, he just leaves the puck like he leaves the puck in a place that only he can reach yeah. it and then he lifts the stick and then he grabs the puck again and goes around <laughs> yeah. i've seen him do that a few times too um and, and maybe people will catch on eventually that that's his thing but i he seems it seems to be effective for him right now one so i'll present the case shifting back to like potter frederick that dynamic i'll present the case for frederick center potter wing and that would be that Montgomery has noted multiple times how demanding the Bruins system is on centers and how much skating it requires, how much movement around the defensive zone it requires because the center is, you know, in the Bruins zone defense, the center is the one really connecting everything and helping everywhere. Um, Frederick, I think, has a – just because he's been in the system longer, has more of a grasp 
of that defensive work. And so if he's a center, he handles that. Maybe that makes things less demanding on Patra being on the wing, especially defensively. So that would be the argument for it. Um, you know, that's at like Bridge. I still lean towards your side of I, I would rather probably just play Padre at center because that is his natural position. It's where you hope he's going to be long-term. So I would just let him continue to have, you know, whatever growing pains might go along with it. Um, but that would be the case for making that switch. Yeah. In, in terms of, you know, keeping him at center versus moving him to wing for Patra, it feels like almost like you'd be, well, I think you'd be setting him up for not failure, but you know, he's set up more for success. If you put him back where he's used to playing, if you move him to the wing and then he doesn't have success, then you almost feel like the next step is what? Like, well, What's next step, next moving step back to center. Moving back to okay. Well, what if the next step was you know Friday's playing great at center? We don't need Potter anymore. Like he's not. He can't help at wing. He can't help at center. That's just the the slippery slope that I see. Um, I just don't really know what the the full season plan is at this point. It seemed like it was pretty clear, and then all of a sudden right before juniors, we kind of started to be like, okay, well, he's getting, you know, he's not playing in the fourth period. He's, they're taking him out of games and now it's like they're moving him to wing. And our thoughts on what his role would be this season has really started to change pretty drastically over the last month. I, I don't think it has for me, honestly. Like I, Mm -hmm. I think some experimentation is fine and almost even necessary, but I mean, in my mind, like I still see him by the end of the year being your number three center, which is where he's been for the most part. But I, I and we see everyone else move around the lineup so much that I guess, like to me, if you want to experiment with him on wing to see what it looks like, that doesn't. I don't. I wouldn't interpret that as being like, well, if that doesn't click, then maybe he goes back to juniors. Like, I don't know. I just think it's it's something you can try for a few games and see how it goes. I think, I don't think he should at any point in time to get sent back to juniors. Cause this lineup needs the depth. Like, like they, they lose depth if they lose him. Um, I just, for some reason I'm skeptical. I, I don't know why <laughs> I just have a different instinct that like I, what you're saying, Scott is what they should do. I'm just not sure that's what they will do is I guess what I'm saying. I just, I, Maybe I'm pre- like think, maybe I'm predicting it wrong incorrectly, but something gets just. You ever just get that? No, every anyone ever just get that sense like something something's yeah, not right. Ruins all the time, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brid- Bridget always being the pessimist in this group. No, I'm not. I'm just you know maybe I'm a psychic. Sky's I don't a blue know. Sky's a blue light. We're Scott and I are talking about blue skies. We're just talking about the nor'easter coming tomorrow. Um, yeah, well, that's true. That is also coming. So. I think all and all joking aside, I, I would I have to go to the grocery store today, guys, and I am not looking forward to that. Very poor planning by me to not get there earlier in the week. Market market basket chumsford. Market basket Lowell. Oh, right, right, right. I always get I, confused on when on where the line is over there on that side of the highway. I, I have two of them within like a half mile of me. There's yeah. one on one side of the Rook Bridge and one directly on yeah. the other side. Like go, but they're just the, they're just the bookends of the bridge. Are you going to the one next that has the puppeginos in the in in the plaza? 
no, this one has a, a Marshalls next to it, oh. and it's right next to the bowl. It's right next to the bowling alley. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna need to get my lol geography. I was gonna say now. people are gonna start stalking me now. It's not as much. Well, now <laughs> I'm gonna be in lol a bunch too, so I'm gonna have to figure out the lol landmarks. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna be calling calling the the PWHL Boston games, um, which I wanted to get to at, at the end of the podcast. But um, I, so just to put your mind at ease, Bridget, I would be very surprised if the Bruins send it back down to juniors because as you mentioned a few minutes ago, like they they need the depth. I mean, you, you have an injury to a, you know, top six caliber forward. Like you need to fill that internally. And, uh, you know, I mean, Patra is, he, I just don't see it happening. I don't. Um, I do want to shift gears a little bit. If you guys don't mind to, to the, to the defense, because it was, a, it was abysmal on, on um, Thursday night against, uh, against the Penguins. But, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Again, the team as a team, the Bruins are they're, they're a top five defensive team in the NHL goals against wise. Um, but visually, there's something off with with Lindholm. I uh, Grizzly's been struggling all year. McAvoy has not been near um, the Norris caliber defenseman that he he should be on a night to night basis. Grizzly is going to get up muscled all the time on the penalty kill. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I don't want to. He shouldn't be on the PK, but. Last night against the Penguins, got up muscle twice, opposition, not a good showing for him, not a great year for him. Lindholm, not good. How do you guys feel about this defense? Um, not so much right now on January 5th, but forward looking, like what needs to change with these guys? Is it personnel? Is it a mindset? Is it nothing? Well, I mean, one thing – you realize like how important this is going to sound obvious, but like how important the team game is to how good or bad their defensemen look because during that winning streak, they're playing much better team hockey. They have more possession and lo and behold, you see the defenseman getting more involved. Lindholm has a few points during that stretch. McAvoy has a three assist game. Like all of a sudden it's like, wow, where has this been? And it's like, well, you haven't had the offensive zone possession to get these guys involved. So I think it, it feels like a defense core that you don't have the sort of dynamic offensive guys who can really like truly create from the back, like a Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr or Eric Carlson. Like you don't have any of those, but you do have guys who, if you're going to possess the puck and 
set up in the offensive zone will get involved and can make some good plays. But then like when you're not doing that and when you're spending more time defending all of a sudden that that's when you get these stretches of like, Hey, Lindholm's gone a week without a point or McAvoy has two points in the last five games. Like then all of a sudden they're not getting as involved because they're just not, they're not going to single-handedly drive it. So it's got to be like all five guys together. So I don't, I guess it was a long way of me saying like a game like Thursday, I don't put it all in the defenseman because I think the forwards shoulder plenty of blame with, you know, I mentioned like Heinen having a sloppy pass that led to a turnover. I think Trent Frederick got caught high in the zone at one point, which led to a three on two down low. Like, you know, it's, it's a team thing. And unfortunately for the defenseman, you end up noticing their mistakes last before the puck goes in the net. So, um, I do agree that Grizzly, I've been on that all year. I don't think he looks like the same player. Uh, obviously, you you want more from, from McAvoy and Lindholm. I think McAvoy's had good stretches, but is not playing at like the Norris caliber level that you're used to seeing. Um, but yeah, it's you notice it's so much more when the, the team just breaks down. And as far as like what needs to change... We said it all along, like they they need to play tougher, and like that doesn't have to be knocking guys over with ten hits a game, but being harder to beat at the net front, winning more battles, moving guys out, tying up sticks. Like again, you know, the Penguins scoring multiple goals on deflections, rebounds, just traffic in general. A couple end up going in off Bruins, but that's because there's traffic there in the first place. So. Um, yeah, like finding a way to clear those those guys out and giving your your goalie, you know, a, a clear line of sight. Do Do you guys think they're missing? And and Bridge, I'll throw it to you first. But do Do you guys think that they're missing a, um, Wait. like, yeah? I I was actually about to say what they were missing before you even throw it. See, so and this entire. Sedin twins out here. We're like the Sedin twins. Mm-hmm. Chemistry. Yes, no. yes. Um, I was thinking this entire conversation. You, you want to know what they're missing? They're missing a Dmitry Orlov. Like that. Can you Ooh. imagine what the defense would look like this year if they had found a way to keep Dmitry Orlov? See, I was gonna, I was gonna go the exact opposite. This is really. This, yeah, this is a good conversation to have. It really is. See, I, I think they. I think they have like okay, so Orloff might drive offense a little bit more than maybe some of their maybe McAvoy for maybe maybe. Um, well, he more than Grizzlick. Sure, but see, but to Scott's point, like they they have guys that can transition the puck. Um, where I think that they need to improve a little bit on the back end is, you know, we talked last I think it was last year the year before, but um, that guy uh, Gavrikov. That he was with the Blue Jackets and he ended up going to um, the Kings. Kings. Um, like, I feel, and, and this is what Derek Forbert's supposed to be, but I'm talking somebody who plays Derek Forbert's role, but but better. Um, like, okay, um, similar to like when, when you had Adam McQuaid, like just somebody, maybe somebody for a third pair that just like, he's not going to get up muscled and he's going to, he's going to lift those sticks. Like he's going to be tough in front of his net. 
Um, like think about Come like on. Dimitri Orlov though. Like he he was I, great offensively. He was tough. You did not want to mess with that guy. I, uh he was good on the penalty kill. Like I don't like if they could have found a way to keep him. I, I mean, they he, lost. He was he was rough lost, defensively in the playoffs. They lost in the first yeah. round last year, and he was a part of that. I, I, like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm gonna name a few names, and it's not that these guys are available or anything. I'm just saying these type of players, and they're just, like, what they need somebody like a like like a, like like Joel Edmondson was for like the Blues or somebody. It's just some or like or the P, uh, Pedersen guy last night for Pittsburgh. Um, or like a like as a door offer, Erica Branson, just somebody who's a big body that's a prick to play against, and you can get him for cheap at the deadline. Those guys aren't those options because of their contracts, but I just feel like they're missing something like that because they do have the high end talent on the back end. I think. Yeah, the the problem is like finding that you mentioned like you know, Forbert's role, but better and ideally like a little meaner than Forbert. The problem is like there's there really aren't as many of those guys as you would think. Like, I know everyone has this idea of like, oh yeah, go find a mean defenseman. And then like people name like Luke Shen or something. It's like, well, if Luke Shen's playing more than like 13, 14 minutes a game, you're in trouble. So it, finding Zadorov's a good one. Like that's someone who's available, who I, I think some people are overrating as like a true top four defenseman, but at the very least you'd be very comfortable with him on your third pair. Um, you know, obviously he, he already got moved and the Bruins just simply weren't yet in a cap situation where that was possible. Like for them, it's going to have to be something closer to the deadline, I think. But yeah, like you always want to have an eye out for those guys, but there's not a lot of them. And then when they do hit the market, the bidding goes crazy because everyone's kind of looking for that same thing. Like I'm sure, you know, if you look at the, 24 or so teams that are still in playoff contention probably 22 of them feel like they could use that exact player like you know a lot of teams aren't happy with their defense cores a lot of teams are shallow or playing guys higher in the lineup than they should be I mean you mentioned Pedersen like I seen people in Pittsburgh writing about how he's playing way too high in the lineup they have him on their top pairing and they're like he should be a third pairing guy like that's that's the thing is like, you know, say someone like that becomes available and you stretch and you, you pay, you know, an exorbitant amount for him. It's like, okay, well, what if he comes in and he's only a third pairing guy and he's a marginal upgrade over Derek Forbert and you just gave up, you know, a second round pick for him. Like that's, it's tough. It's tough to try to find like that exact right player who does what we're talking about. Yeah. I just think they got to negate any of these freebie goals in the net mount. Like if you're, if you're in opposition, I just think sometimes the Bruins, like, it's just, it's too easy for, for the forwards. Like you, there's gotta be something a little bit more. And, and sometimes it's lack of coverage. Other times it's out muscled and um, you just can't have it in the playoffs. It, so. Yeah. And, and some that has to be internal. Like now, you know, Mason Laura had a tough game Thursday and even wound up getting sat down for a part of it. I think he only played like eight and a half minutes. Mason Laura had been playing well before then. We had talked, I think, on our last episode about him, you know, pushing to stay in the top four. And I still think that's in play. Like, one bad game doesn't ruin that. But Mason Laura does have to get tougher. 
like does have to win more of these battles. And it's like, okay, so am I, am I necessarily looking for an upgrade over Mason Lori or am I trying to work with Mason Lori to get him to that point where he is using his size more and, um, and winning more of those battles and getting more physical. And it's like, that doesn't happen overnight. And that's going to be tough to judge because like, can you get there by the playoffs, get Mason Lori to where he needs to be? Or is Mason Lori probably not going to get there until next season? Like that's, that's going to be a tough to call that the Bruins are going to have to try to figure out here over the next, you know, month or two. Yeah. Grizzlick's the interesting one. I don't, he, he's the one that I just, I'm curious to see what happens with him because, um, you know, he has value. He's obviously an NHL caliber defenseman. You have the emergence of Lori. Um, he's Grizzlick's also been playing decent with Shat and Kirk, but what do you do with Forber comes back? Like, um, that's going to be an interesting one to follow. I, obviously, we've mentioned on this podcast, you can never have too much depth on defense for sure, especially NHL caliber defensemen. Um, so maybe nothing happens and they just have, you know, those guys on the depth chart. Yeah, my my ideal, taking a trade out of it, because obviously that's always a possibility, but keeping things internally, like to me, the ideal way that this plays out is Lori keeps getting better does run with a top four spot and claim claim that as his. And then you're left with, then your top four, however you want to line up, is set. McAvoy, Lindholm, Carlo, Lorai. And then you wrote, and then you have a third pairing rotation, however you want to play it out of Grizzly, Shattenkirk, Forbert. And, you know, if you're facing a heavier team, Forbert's in, Grizzly's out. If you're playing a game where you think you need more transition, Grizzlick's in, maybe Forbert sits, maybe you try Grizzlick on the right side. Like then you can figure out your third pairing and move pieces around there. Maybe Parker Weatherspoon even stays in the conversation somewhere. But getting that top four set is is the most important thing. And I guess, you know, to echo like what I just said, like what the Bruins have to decide is whether they have that internally and specifically meaning Mason Lori sticking in that kind of role or if it's not quite as time yet and they have to find an upgrade. Would you be surprised if they sent him back down again? Like, do you guys think he's kind of sticking around the rest of the season at this point? Or are you thinking it's, we're kind of just waiting for Forbert to come back and then he's back down? No, I think he's sticking around for now. Um, well, yeah, for now. now but... Yeah. So it, I guess like, I would say that that's up to Mason Lori. If he if he plays like he had been in I'm gonna say like the last couple of weeks and keeps building on that, he's gonna stick around. He's not gonna be the one to, you know, Parker Weatherspoon will get sent down, not him. But if he has more games like Thursday night, where you know he was he was a minus three and had a turnover leading up to one goal, combined with Grizzly to lose Jeff Carter in front of the net on another. And, you know, just, just an all-around rough game. Like, if there's more of those, then it becomes a conversation. Um, but right now, like, I I think there's been more good than bad over the yeah, – a I lot mean, more good than bad over the last month. Yeah. But if, if Grizzly keeps matching him, poor performance for poor performance, and then it's like – I mean, unless – until Grizzly turns back into, you know, the Matt Grizzly of, like, you know, 2018 to 2022, whatever, it's like – he needs to also elevate his game to force the Bruins to send 
chloride down and it has to elevate it for a period of time. That's the other part too. It's that, so it's the combination of Grizzlick is Grizzlick is playing not to his standards and Lori is to the most for the most part getting better each game, setback, getting better and better, setback. So as long as that's the combination, I don't see how they send him down uh, at all. If Lori struggles for a while and Grizzlick steps up, maybe. But even then, it's like I, I don't know if there's a benefit to that either. Keep them all around. Do you want to get to a few quick things before we sign off here? So um, I'll just keep this real quick. It wasn't Swayman's best game. Um, he gave up a lot of rebounds that also, you know, sometimes the great goaltending the Bruins have been getting helps cover up for some of those defensive mistakes, um, you know, failed clears, whatever it may be. Um, and maybe we're not talking about the defense for this long. If Swayman holds on to a few of those and um, just, just ends plays, but, uh, you know, he's had such a great season. He had a down game on Thursday. Coach said he was considering taking him out, but he wanted to let him fight through it. So that's why, even though he gave up five goals, he stayed in the net. And obviously, we know what happened after that. He didn't give up any after the fifth goal. Bruins came back. Well, I shouldn't say that. He, he allowed the Bruins to get back in the game, tie it 5-5, and then gave up that power play goal to Crosby um, to make it 6-5. And that's what the final score was. So he didn't have his best game, but it seemed uncharacteristic. We didn't get a chance to talk to him after the game either, which usually we do. Um, we get to talk to the goalie, the starting goalie after the game. Uh, but anyway, I, I just maybe that's an anomaly because we think that he's he's had a great season. And then also to the All-Star game stuff, if you guys want to touch on that a little bit, Pasternak, um, who's been having another great season, uh, is into the All-Star game, so... Yeah, and I last night aside, I think Swayman's going to end up as an all-star too. Um, so there's – Danny Shell announced the one representative from each team, so the first 32, and there's 12 more spots league-wide that go to a fan vote. And I, I think four goalies have to be selected from that group. So I would be surprised if Swayman's not one of them, honestly, unless he, like, really falls apart over the next couple of weeks. But – um, that that would be a nice nice little nod for him. Um, first All Star, yeah, passing a fourth All Star appearance, no surprise. I if we had more time here, I would go on my rant about how stupid it is that every team needs to get an All Star because not every team has an All Star on their roster. But um, you know, I'll I'll, I'll save that one. Yeah, I mean. I, I saw, I think Ty Anderson tweeted out uh, a, a, an image of a hat being sold at the, the pro shop at the Garden. Maybe it was like a 1996 All-Star game. Um, if you ever want to, like, see just how far the NHL All-Star games have regressed, go on YouTube and, and watch the 1996 skills competition and All-Star game and look at the names on each blue line representing – it may have been – if it wasn't the Eastern conference versus the Western conference, it was North America versus the world at the time, but I think it was East versus West. Um, the names that each team boasts is it's cross generational and it's insane. Like you have like, like you have Gretzky playing with like Korea and Sackick and I, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Um, and, and the game was a phenomenal game too. But nowadays it's like, to, to Scott's point, it's like, 
All right, so who's 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 Columbus's all star? The Water Boy, okay, and then um, like it's just not it's just not great. It's not great, but yeah, kudos to Pasta. Obviously, he's we'll we'll, I mean, we'll get to that rant closer to the All Star game. And also, we've had this rant previous have we All Star game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will say I'm at least glad that they're bringing back the player draft. They they announced that Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews will be the two captains oh, awesome. picking their teams. So. At least like that, like it's at least something a, a little extra interesting, yeah. different. And I'm sure Toronto will make make it a good a good time because it's uh, you know, such a mecca of hockey. They'll 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 optimize the weekend. I feel like with media and stuff. Yeah, and then, then the last thing that we didn't get a chance to touch on was first Boston PWHL game was Tuesday. No, what day was it? Wednesday? I don't know. It was Wednesday. I broadcast the game. My brain was so just focused on that that I like, I don't even know what day it is now. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still tired, Um, but, but it was a great game. And I think that people are going to like interest was really high on game one. And I feel like the momentum is there for it to continue to Mm. be high. Uh, Turnout was better than expected. Ratings were better than expected. Um, and the product was just great. Like I will say, like, as the analyst in that game, I realized I need to get to the point quicker than I do in college hockey, men's or women's, uh, because plays just happen faster. Like this is a, this is pro level speed. Um, it's faster than I think both men's and women's college hockey. Uh, and next thing, you know, you know, I'm talking about something next thing, you know, there's a centering pass the pucks on net and it's like it. It, it, everything happened quick. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the game, Brian. I think you did. Mm-hmm. I, think, I know yeah. Scott was there. Some of those yeah. goals, all three Minnesota goals went far down at like the fastest pace you could possibly shoot the puck. And I was just like, I didn't even see the high C one go in. Like it was, it happened so fast. It was just like, Oh, it's in the net. All right. Um, so I think it's been, I would say they probably, it's probably further along than they were expecting considering they only had 125 days from the founding of the league to the first game of the league to get everything underway and to, and to kind of like market it. And it's, it's been a success so far. Yeah. And, and, you know, as so, okay. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of elements to this. First of all, you did, you did a phenomenal job on the game. Um, and looking forward to the first uh, play-by-play game that you do as well. Uh, you were on color for the first game. So maybe yeah. to your point, you, maybe, maybe you can watch back the first game in, and do the play-by-play just to get used to the speed because I'm sure it is a little quicker than, than what you're used to. Um, it, it was. It was quick. But I've also, um, you know, growing up, I went to a lot of I, – I live just on, like, you know, 10 minutes on the highway from Songus um, and went to a lot of, like, Lock Monster games. And, uh, you know, I, I think between Manchester with the Verizon Center, which used to have the Monarchs, um, I think that building is no longer even – useful to any hockey team um may, maybe maybe snoo but i don't i think they may play in hooks it anyway uh you had the verizon center in manchester with the monarchs you had the songs with the lock monsters and then you know in the last like seven to eight years i'd say like both those arenas just kind of lost lost their their tenants except for riverhawks hockey and so i think it's in addition to um the pwhl's inaugural season just what that means um to sports in general um, it's also great for like the city of Lowell um, to get another professional hockey team um, back and in, in, in that in that arena to share with the Riverhawks, and that's really cool too for for you know local re- residents. Um, 
So I definitely didn't get a chance to go to the first one, but I'm going to for sure go to uh, some games there. Yeah, it was it was a really good atmosphere, and it was you know it was, it was a little bit of a bummer because like player introductions, great reception. Bergeron comes out to do the ceremonial puck drop uh, with his oldest three kids. Um, that was cool, and then Minnesota scores two goals in the first eight minutes, and it kind of quiets everyone down. You get, you know, you finally get Boston's first goal, and it, you know people going crazy. And then Minnesota scores less than a minute later, so it was like there was until near the end, there wasn't really room for like the crowd to really get into it. But then they cut it to three two with a little under three minutes to go, and the crowd was was really loud like from that point on to the finish line. Um, and it was so it was cool to like see game one them sort of getting embraced as like a true home team that these fans are cheering for and not just like this curiosity of hey let me see what this new league's about like you could tell there's actually like a connection there between fans and team um you know that's you're right like it songs is a great venue i am i am curious to see like if it sticks beyond this season as their home because Look, obviously, you know, it says Boston on their jersey and they want to be a Boston team. Fans in and around Boston, especially fans south of Boston, getting up to low on a weeknight is tough. Like I, you know, I've done that coming home from the office at five o'clock heading home. Like it's, 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 it's not, a, it's not a fun commute. So, but to, Brian, to your point, like the flip side of that is, if you market to Lowell and like the towns around here, there's definitely a fan base, you know, I'm, I'm from Dorica. So I'm with you, like went to Lockmarks' games growing up, Lowell spinners, and they always had good crowds. Like those teams were embraced by this area and the Lockmarks' weren't a Bruins uh, affiliate. Like that they, they were always other teams. So it was like, they got embraced, not just because of any sort of connection to the Bruins. Cause there was none. They got embraced because, they were Lowell. So um, really fascinating to see like how it grows going forward, but the product on the ice is great. Like you, for the first time and really forever, like you do have all the best women's players in the world under one umbrella. I mean, the, the Boston team has like at least a handful of Olympians, I think four Patty Kazmaier award oh my winners. God, they have more for, than a handful of Olympians. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> It's truly just like a loaded roster. Well, the whole league is because it's yeah. only six teams. <laughs> so like the, even even after watching some really great women's college hockey and some players that you would have thought would have made the team, like they're not even making the cut because that's how stacked these six teams all are. Like I, I honestly am interested to see how it shakes out. We're only a few games into the season. I don't know which team's better than the other yet because they're all stacked. <laughs> like they all have great goalies. They all have incredibly solid first lines. They have so it's it's gonna be interesting. Um, and they already sold out of a bunch of their merch. And like like I said, I think maybe they're they're further along than they thought they were gonna be. You know, the, the first season it was like we the women wanted to get underway. They wanted to play. It's a shortened season. It, you know, next year there will be more games than there is this year. Um, and they, they found a good venue uh, for this year. And, and a lot of things are still a work in progress. Like we mentioned, they don't have names on the jerseys, uh, like on the front of the jerseys. There's no, there's no mascot. There's, you know, it's just Boston as of right now. Um, 
and it's all going to come together as time goes on. But uh, I would say it has, maybe it's at like where they thought they'd be year three and year one. And that's, you know, Mm -hmm. that's great. Yeah. I mean, I think something else that's really cool too, is like, because we're living it in the present, I don't even think we grasp just how cool it is that this is the inaugural season, right? Like, you know, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, like people will be talking, people will be talking about the PWHL original six, Minnesota, Boston, New York, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, back when they didn't even have names or mascots. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And, and Bridget, because she was on, she did the first broadcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of weird to think that Billie Jean King knows who I am. Well, and I'm just like, yeah. what is going on right now? <laughs> it's pretty cool. It is. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, one other one other thought on. Um, oh yeah. I mean, uh, uh, as far as staying in Lowell goes, um, you know, I think it's the I think it's the best rink in in the greater Boston area um, outside of obviously the TD Garden. I think. I mean, again, this is great. I just I think maybe if they could do Aganis, if they could, I don't know if they could do that. Harvard, you have Harvard, you have Matthews Arena. I don't, I don't Harvard. Think, yeah, I, don't think, I think Harvard really would be too might be too small for what they yeah what they want. I mean, would be the only you know appropriate size attendance uh, rank in Boston, but you have you know you have to share the ice. And I don't know if they can do that. So it might by default. I don't think they have a choice. It might be Lowell. And as you said, it's a great option for people north of Boston, at least. Yeah, um, it, it does seem like like Aganis would probably be the target. Like Con- Connie Forms too busy. You have. BC men's and women's hockey there, BC men's and women's basketball. Like, I don't think they'd be able to really plan around that. Again, it really is just BU men's hockey. Like, women's team doesn't play there. The basketball teams don't play there. There are a lot of other events. So I've, I wondered about Aganis from the start, and I still wonder about that going forward. But mm. you're right. Like, outside of that, if you're – Makes the most if, sense. If they're – I mean, they started, you know, game one, they had 4,000 – just over 4,000 fans there. Obviously, you know, they'll probably fluctuate a little bit for a while, but longer term, like the goal is to go up from there. Um, and so, yeah, that does limit like how many venues can accommodate that crowd. So yeah, so when, you, when you look at what the attendance was in Ottawa, it was sold out and it was over 8,000 people. So, yeah. it, you know, maybe if that's, and, and you want to know what I have been thinking of, like in comparison is, and this is because of Billie Jean King, but she, I'm sorry, Melvin. Um, She started women's tennis. Like they all signed $1 contracts back in the seventies to start up their own, uh, you know, players association and everything. And think about where women's tennis is right now. Women's tennis sells out huge stadiums around the world. Sorry. Melvin has. (laughs) Melvin just went hard on the four check. Just a, a, (laughs) <laughs> just a quick a quick note aganis is uh 7200 capacity and songus is 64 which is surprising i i thought they were pretty close in this, but I, I didn't realize aganis had that many more seats not that it's that much more it's less than a thousand but um one other one other note i would mention i would mention before we sign off is um for those listening it's going to be um probably happening as you listen to this podcast or it would have already taken place but is uh usa sweden world junior gold um Gold medal game is at 1.30 on the 5th. Um, right now it's noon, so we all have a chance to check that out afterwards. But that's a 
another thing to watch and keep an eye on and another notch in the belt for Team USA. If they can capture that, it'd be, you know, maybe like their fifth or sixth gold medal in the last dozen years or so. Yeah, and all, all, the, all the BC guys on, on that team, plus Lane Hudson from BU. Got to gotta mention him. As hey, well. there it is. BU, BU is the only college guaranteed to win a gold medal because they also have Tom Willander on, on Sweden. So well, There you go. He's go been waiting yours. to say that this entire episode. Mm-hmm. Been waiting to say that. <laughs> all righty. Well, Bridget and Scott, I think we are good for this episode if you have nothing else. We're good. All good. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.